0: Hey everyone, it's Bridget Marquardt here with a brand new episode of Ghost Magnet. Thank you so much for listening and welcome back. Dave Schrader is a longtime radio show host that delves deep into the realms of the strange, fringe, and bizarre in the paranormal field. Dave and his co-host started off with Darkness Radio in 2006, which grew into a widely popular radio show. He became a regular fill-in host for George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM that is heard worldwide with millions of listeners. Now... Dave hosts Midnight in the Desert, formerly hosted by the radio legend Art Bell on Dark Digital, Dark Matter Digital Network, along with Darkness Radio presents Beyond the Darkness on Podcast 1 and True Crime Tuesday on Patreon. Dave co-wrote the book The Other Side, a teens guide to ghost hunting and the paranormal, was the lead Oh, blah, blah, blah. Dave co-wrote the book, The Other Side, A Teen's Guide to Ghost Hunting and the Paranormal. He was the lead judge on the Travel Channel's hit miniseries, Paranormal Challenge, and has appeared on screen on Travel Channel's number one series, Ghost Adventures, numerous times, Paranormal Stay on A&E and Haunted Hospitals. Dave also worked behind the scenes on Ghost Adventures for three years as a location and scout researcher. Beginning in October 2019, he is the featured cast member on the new paranormal reality series on travel channel The Holzer Files. Originally from Illinois, Dave has been a resident of Minnesota since 1988 when he attended Winona State College and fell in love with the beauty and people of the, of that great state. With the growing interest in the world of the unknown on TV, film, and literature building each day, Dave decided to bring his unique views and experiences to the radio as the host of Darkness Radio. Dave has had an active interest in the paranormal since his early his childhood when he was visited by the spirit of his deceased grandmother and we're going to get into that for sure continued act, continued activity and experiences has kept his passion alive so i can't wait to talk to him about all that but before we get started let's check in with lisa morton for this week's ghost report
1: hey bridget it's lisa here with this week's ghost report We just can't seem to escape the Queen Mary. It gets talked about a lot on this show, and with good reason. It's close to us here in Southern California. It's world famous. It's old and gorgeous and, hmm, oh, that's right, it's totally haunted. I've already talked about it in previous ghost reports, but here's something I haven't mentioned before. Did you know that the Queen Mary's Halloween event, Dark Harbor, features mazes that not only take place right on board the ship, but are based on the QM's actual haunted history? Take, for example, Lullaby, which leads guests through a frightening labyrinth of rooms haunted by Scary Mary, a nine-year-old girl who drowned in the first class pool in 1952. Fans of the ship know this is really Jackie, a five or six year old who drowned in the second class pool but is said to haunt both the first and second class pool areas. Lullaby also features one of Dark Harbor's hidden bars where you can order a drink and get your fortune told. The maze called Dead Rise features a character called Half Hatch Henry who was crushed by a bulkhead door. Henry is based on John, a young sailor who died in just such an incident within the ship's engine room. And then there's feast, probably the goriest of all the dark harbor mazes. There's a legend that a chef serving on the ship during World War II was so disliked by his own crew that they finally shoved him into an oven and left him there to roast. In the feast maze, the spirit of that chef returns from the dead to seek revenge on his crew, and of course a few passengers just might get chopped up and added to the menu along the way. Sadly, Dark Harbor won't be happening in 2020 due to the pandemic, but I have no doubt that Jackie and John will be happy to wait until the events return in 2021 to greet everyone. After all, they've already been on the Queen Mary for a very long time. And with that, it's back to Bridget and Dave. Bon voyage, everyone, and stay safe.
0: Thank you, Lisa, and thank you, Dave. Thank you so much for doing the show today.
2: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Boy, my elbow hurt from all that patting myself on the back when yeah. I wrote my own biography. That's a lot of <laughs> accolades I got.
0: Yeah, we'll have to uh, get a massage on that later. <laughs> oh, wait! I don't think anybody's doing that right now.
2: Yeah. Well, as soon as it opens up, I'm going to need it because the tennis elbow from writing all these amazing things about myself—some of which are probably even true.
0: Wait, I hope maybe a couple of them. Okay, I always want to start at the very beginning. Okay. Your grandmother, that was your yes. very first experience. Tell yes. me what happened.
2: Well, my grandmother passed away when I was very young from cirrhosis and um How old gran- were you? I was just about 3.
0: Oh, really? So, yeah. Okay.
2: And so I have no physical memory of this, uh, but this is the legend and lore that's been passed down from my family. My grandparents loved each other very much, but they slept in separate rooms at separate ends of the house because my grandfather snored like a chainsaw going through glass bottles. And uh, so when my grandmother passed away and I would go visit, I'd sleep in my grandmother's room and my mom would come pick me up and I would tell her how grandma came and, and told me stories and a couple times after hearing that, my mom reminded me, no, honey, remember grandma's in heaven. And I said, I know. And she misses us. She loves us. And, uh, then I said, you know, she's funny. She doesn't have her shoes on and she doesn't have all of her teeth. And I described the dress she was wearing. And because she had passed away from cirrhosis, she didn't really look like my grandmother. So they, they buried her in a closed casket. There were only three people that knew what she was buried in. My aunt who picked out the outfit and dropped it off to the, um, to my grandfather who took it to the mortuary. So those were the only three. And I detailed right down to the fact that she was buried without her shoes and they had removed her, her false teeth for burial as well. So, uh, my, you know, my mom started to take it a little bit more seriously. And when she revealed this to my aunt, my aunt said, well, I've gotten phone calls from mom since she passed away as well. So our whole family has been kind of, um entrenched into the supernatural since before i was born they've had weird experiences i've had weird experiences and it's just kind of i I think instead of me hunting it it's been hunting me my whole life
0: um do you think this is all from your grandmother or are there different things that your family has been feeling and sensing
2: well you know here's kind of a fun little offshoot uh i never knew my biological father right it was the 60s my mom was a hippie need i say more uh this three years ago after she passed away, um, I had done an ancestry.com test. And when we started filming this season of the Holzer files, uh, we had, we were filming episode one of season two and I had a break in in filming. So I opened up my email and there's a message from snarky tea company and it says ancestry.com results. So I I'm like, this sounds like spam mail. And I open it up and there's this email that says, hi, I think you're my brother. Uh, my dad did Ancestry.com in December. We just got the results back, and it's linking you as father and son. And none of us are surprised. And we all had a good laugh over that, and we connected. And uh, the first time I talked to my dad, he said, look, I've looked over all your social media. I'm not surprised that you're into the paranormal. It's it's a big part of who we are. Your great-grandmother was a Scottish gypsy queen. And uh, so it's been a part of my bloodline this interest and fascination and all my siblings and father have had supernatural experiences. So it's, it's pretty cool to open up that whole new door at, at this stage in my life and find out that it's really been a a narrative through both sides, my mom and, and my biological father's side.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, well, obviously it's on your mom's side too. And uh, tell me about the phone calls your aunt was getting from your grandmother.
2: My, my grandfather's house was kind of an oddly shaped house. Um, so my my aunt's room was butted up against my grandfather's room, but they were on opposite sides of the house like a horseshoe. Okay. And my grandmother or my aunt had her own phone. You know, she was 19, something like that, when my grandmother passed away, and she received a phone call. She picked it up, and it was static, and then she heard my grandmother's voice. And my, my aunt kind of freaked out and screamed and dropped the phone. And my grandfather, who was a <clears throat> paratrooper uh, veteran from World War II, and a, a Chicago construction worker hears his daughter screaming, holy hell, he comes flying in his boxer shorts and t-shirts ready to, to go to war and and uh, sees my aunt freaking out. And he picks up the phone and hears a sigh and then it disconnects. And he's, what the hell's going on? She, Mom called and he's like, your mom's dead. This is, you know, you're, you're having a dream. And she got a call again a few days later from my grandmother saying, you know, like, if you tell people I can't, I can't do this again, but I just want you to know, I love you. I'll always be with you. Um, you know, everything's going to be fine now. And it was just kind of a making amends and a final goodbye phone call. Uh, so it was, it was really kind of a beautiful moment. And my aunt didn't know how to tell my mom. She's like, she's going to think I'm nuts. And, uh, then when my mom kept coming to her saying, Dave keeps uh, having dreams about mom reading to him and visiting him in her old bedroom, they kind of came together and that was it. Then growing up, both of them had books by Hans Holzer, D. Scott Rogo, The Warrens, Stephen King, everything from fiction to to nonfiction regarding the supernatural. And uh, they were always laying around the house, so I'd pick them up and read them. And sometimes my mom, I remember Amityville Horror was sitting on the counter and I went to grab it. My mom's like, no, 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 that's too scary. You shouldn't read that. And then you 30, 35 years later, I'd become Really close friends with Christopher Lutz, the youngest boy from the family. and I get to introduce my mom to Chris Lutz. Wow uh, yeah, so it's kind of a neat little cyclical moment. but um yeah, it's it's fascinating to uh, to to kind of be in this life and have the love and support that I've had for my family on both sides, you know, uh, telling me to just go with these with these gut instincts and and let the the paranormal come and it has.
0: Definitely. One of the things you said about the phone call too is that your your grandmother said to your um, aunt, you you can't freak out or tell people or I can't keep doing this because uh, we were just talking to Greg Lawson too and he was talking about that he felt like there was like rules that the paranormal or the ghosts have to kind of follow. That's like the handbook for the dead from Beetlejuice, right? Right. but I, I do feel like there, there are some rules maybe out there, which I've never explored before or thought about or talked about too much, but it, this is the kind of the second time it's coming up uh, just today. So I, I feel like it's really something, there's something to it, maybe.
2: I would agree. I mean, there seems to be something, but, I, you know, again, is it, are they hard and fast rules or is it just, you know... Um, this is, this is the way my, my aunt or my grandmother chose to make herself known. And meaning I can't, I don't have the power to keep doing this, you know, and especially if it's going to cause you so much upset and dismay and upset your father. So I think that might've been it. You know, when my grandfather passed away many years later, when I was 21, uh, 22 almost. And, um, yeah, you know, I had a very close, I had a great visitation dream from him that was something different. And then a few years later when my second son was born, uh, my grandfather had a very specific nickname, but I don't, I don't give it out because I'm waiting for the medium that's going to eventually connect with me and give me that name. So we'll just, uh, we'll say Bumble was his nickname. Right. And we're driving in the car and my, my son's in the back seat and I can see him in the rear view mirror and he's turning and blah, 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 ha, ha, and he's just gabbing and blabbing and, I finally look at him and I go, "Hey, Nathan!" And he looks up at me in the rearview mirror, and he's speaking no real words at this point. And I go, "Who are you talking to?" And he stops and he looks back up and he looks at me and he goes, "Bumble." And then he turns around and starts laughing again. And I just I put my eyes down on the steering wheel and I said, "Bumble, if you're in the back seat, stay there. If I see you, we're going to join you much quicker than you want us to." So uh, that was that was my holy beep moment. Uh, you know, I was excited to know that he was there and that he was making communication because I knew he loved, uh, you know, that I carried on the Schrader name and I have between my wife and I, we have 11 kids, uh, eight of which are Schraders. So I've been, Whoa. prolific. And, you know, when God tells you go forth and be fruitful and multiply, who am I to tell God? No, <laughs> wow.
0: so I, I guess you
2: gotta be careful on these deals. Right. I mean, it's just crazy.
0: He should have clarified a little more. Right. And, and <laughs> Maybe I was just like, he, he needs some rules.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to, to, to tell the Lord, no, when I come to face that final day, I've got to be very cautious with, uh, with, uh, what I do. So I'm just going to say, I've done my part to repopulate right. here. So I know my grandfather's happy. He's got all these grandsons and granddaughters running around and, and, uh, would, uh, would be happy about this. So I'm not surprised that he still makes little appearances to, uh, to our, our family and our offspring. And I'm sure now my grandchildren are being visited by him as well, because they've all, you know, they'll start talking and then look over your shoulder as babies and start gooing and gawing at something. And I'm sure it's either my grandmother, my grandfather, or my mom. So it's either way, it's all a win-win.
0: So you have grandkids? Yeah. Okay. So your kids are older. Have any of them followed in your footsteps?
2: Uh, yes, they're all having children. So that's the first footstep. Uh, I've got, I've got four with my fifth on the way. Um, and I've, you know, my kids all are very supportive of what I do. They think it's cool. They like it. It's kind of embarrassing when your dad's a ghost hunter, uh, and talks about this stuff. But, um, You know, a couple of them show an interest in learning about it. And this season, my daughter, one of them will have a cameo in uh, one of the episodes of Holzer Files for season two. We tried something really unique and got unbelievable evidence from it. Um, And my other daughter uh, has shown an interest in maybe picking up for the old man someday on my radio show and, and carrying it into the future. So we'll see, you know, yeah. I, I don't try to push it down their throat. I never want to scare them with the paranormal, but we've all gone to a few friendly places to ghost hunt together and, and have a good time.
0: Well, I love that it's your daughters too, cause they feel like we need more female representation.
2: Well, you know, we're finally, thank God getting more of that on TV. Um, and you know, the one thing I, I do want to say though, Bridget is, you know, ladies, if you want more representation, you gotta be nicer to one another because I read all the fan boards and, and a lot of times, you know, unfortunately networks are watching too. And if you're too pretty, you must be a slut or a whore to have gotten that job. And if you're not pretty enough, well, why is she on TV? I'm better looking than her. You got to support one another in love and unity. And when, when there are people out there representing you in the field, cheer them, lift them. That's the way that we're going to see change happen. Not by tearing each other down. That's not the way to do this.
0: Oh my gosh, the message board. Well, even when I was on TV, the message boards Wait, um, you were on TV? So, one a long time ago. You probably <laughs> before before you were born. Oh. <laughs> um uh the message boards were horrible and I... we begged E to take them down. I mean, they were just so mean and just just so awful. And then uh, and they refused. Of course, they loved all the banter and all of the drama.
2: Hey, it's the haters that keep us on the air. Don't don't kid yourself ever. They love to tune in and pick apart everything we do wrong. So I'm fine with sure. the haters watching as long as they're watching.
0: Yeah, but now it's social media. I mean, now it's like a whole nother level. When we right. were at least when we were on TV, we didn't. I mean, there was MySpace. You know, I, uh, Twitter hadn't been out yet. It bare, it came out right after we were done. So, yeah, uh, it's on a whole nother level now.
2: But we are seeing right. We've got a great. Um, smattering of a very strong female. Uh, Kinga Phillips is out there. Amy Bruni is out there. Cindy Aza on the Holzer Files. You've got, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, so many Katrina Widman now on Portals to Hell. You've got the amazing uh, Layden family on uh, Destination Fear, and Chelsea Layden, uh representing. And you know, there's uh, so many great new female additions to Ghost Hunters on A and E. So we're starting to see this resurgence in all these different fields, and I'm I'm glad, and I hope people will just keep supporting all that come to this field, uh, so that we don't, you know, we're no longer talking about. Uh, a woman led show or an African American led show or whatever. It's just paranormal shows and these are the cast and that's what hopefully we're going to all be able to see happen soon. And it won't be such an event. It'll just be integration of good people coming together with same interests and showing how close we all really are.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, you started on a a topic that it was actually my next question, but we didn't really get into it. You had a dream about your grandfather. Can you tell us about that in more detail?
2: Yeah. Um, I was very close with my grandfather. Uh, although I grew up with a great stepdad, my grandfather was kind of in this legendary status, you know, he was there from the beginning and, and, uh, um, was just a great, great human being, great guy. And when he passed away. and I, I can even go back. My grandmother made one other quick visit before my grandfather passed. My son, my oldest son, who I named after my grandfather, was born at home. We had a midwife. And uh, the baby was breached. So they decided to use gravity. So I stood up like a, a an end zone, you know, the, the goalposts. My girlfriend stood with her back against me and her arms draped over mine. And she would drop her weight and push. And we got into a good rhythm of doing this. And she took a break. And she was taking a deep breath and I kind of relaxed for a second. She dropped into a a contraction and I started to fall backwards, holding a very pregnant woman. And something, boom, grabbed me underneath my armpits and stood me straight back up in the room. Now, my mom and my, uh, and the midwife and our relatives that were there to witness the birth watched this. And afterwards, my mom who worked at a hospital for children with spinal issues said, how did you do that? That's not physically possible. You stopped mid fall and stood back up. And I said, it felt like somebody grabbed me under my armpits and, and stood me up. And I said, but obviously mom, I'm, I'm like the incredible Hulk. I just, I rage, like saving the yeah. woman I love. And she's like, no, you didn't idiot. Something was here. And she goes, did you smell anything? And I said, well, mom, I was holding a pregnant woman giving birth. I smelled a lot of weird things. She started laughing. She goes, no, did you smell flowers? And I said, yeah, I did. But I just assumed somebody knocked over perfume because we were at home. And she goes, no, that was your grandmother's perfume. So. I believe my grandmother was there for that moment. But then when my grandfather passed away a few years later, um, it, it just really hit me and, and sunk me. That was the first person in my life. Really. I was lucky that had passed away. Uh, you know, a couple of, uh, outlying people that I didn't know very well, or when I was young and it didn't have that impact, but this was the first one that really hit me and I was not doing well with it. And, uh, it was probably about a month into this dark pit of despair. And, uh, I can remember this dream perfectly. I was running in a field of like waist high grass. And all of a sudden I heard, Hey kid. And I stopped and turned around and now I was inside my grandfather's house in, in Louisiana and I turned back around and now I'm in the house and I had conscious thoughts enough to think I've seen enough nightmare on Elm street movies. This never ends well. Right. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And I could see out through the back window. They had the little, um, visitor or not visitor, but like the guest house in the back And I could see my grandfather walk out of the guest house and walk towards me. And I remember having the thought, I'm watching a dead man. He's taking his time to get here to let my brain process what's about to happen. And I remember having these thoughts. And he comes walking in. He goes, you're not doing too good, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. I I wasn't ready to let you go. He goes, I know. And we talked. And he said, I'm here to answer any questions. And uh, we just had this delightful talk about death. And I've had this lifelong fear since I was four or five years old of death, like where it keeps me up at night. Uh, something I only beat this last year at at age 52, but, uh, he, he talked to me and walked me through it and I said, so, you know, when you got there, were your parents there and, and everything? And he goes, yeah, my parents and my brothers and sisters and, and your grandmother. And I was like, oh, and then I went, oh, uh oh, and he goes, what? And I said, well, what happens when your second wife dies? And he looks at me and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, now that you're back with grandma and my grandfather had this great laugh, like the old cartoon character Mutley, And he just kind of <laughs> starts laughing at me and he goes, well, we'll all be here, including grandma to meet her. And I looked at him and I go, what kind of weird hippie commune are you living in where you're all just living together? Ah. And, he, and he laughed. He goes, no, we'll all be here just like her parents and the two husbands that preceded her in death before me. Now, I never knew that aspect. And after I had this dream and we said our goodbyes, uh, as he was fading away from me, I sat up in my bed, kind of bleary-eyed, and he kind of faded into the darkness. And my girlfriend leaned over and thumped me, and she goes, go shut the closet door. I can smell your grandfather's clothes. Because we had just brought them home, and uh, it was his smoking jacket and some of his, his clothing that still had his cologne on it. And I looked and the closet doors closed and I'm like, I think she just smelled my grandfather in the room with us. Uh, So I went and I talked to my mom about this and I said, you know, he said something weird. He said that not only will he be there, but so will the two husbands that preceded her in death as well. And my mom's like, yeah, we, I guess we never spoke about it, but you know, two of her other husbands died. And so I brought back information I had no knowledge of at that time. So that to me was even more concrete that this was a real experience and not just a dream.
0: Yeah. Oh, that story gave, made me teary-eyed and gave me chills all at the same time.
2: Excellent. <laughs>
0: um, but there was something about the hug, too, wasn't there? Didn't he hug you?
2: Wow, you know your stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I gave him, uh, we're a very huggy, affectionate family, um, and I went to give him a hug. And it felt like I grabbed onto, like, uh, this pillar of hot, vibrating, staticky air. And I backed up. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, you're not used to that. And he said, okay, now give me a hug. And I gave him a hug, and it felt like shirt and elbow. And, you know, my grandfather had the pointiest elbows in the world. And I when I hugged him, I actually felt for the elbow. And he kind of laughed. And, and when we parted, he just said, you know, I can't do this again, kid, but I'm always with you. Stop worrying about death. You got a good long time before you, you will you'll have to worry about that. And as if, you know, a way to show it, about four or five days after this, my girlfriend and I were driving home and we were in a rainstorm and I had a little Geo metro, which was basically like a, a pop can on wheels. Mm. And um I locked the brakes up in a rainstorm and I started to slide into the back of a uh semi truck. And I knew we were both cooked. This was just gonna tear our heads off. And I, I literally let go of the steering wheel and just put my hands on my head. And I just said, oh God, I'm so sorry, honey. And uh, the car, the wheel turned, the car veered, went right in between two semis and stopped at the red light. And the car just turned off. And we could have rolled on our windows and just put our finger out like this and touched the truck next to us on both sides. That's how close we were. Um, so I kind of felt like he was just giving me a sign. Don't worry about that. you got a good long time before you need to worry about that. So he started the car up, green light went, we took off, but, uh, it was, that was a very close, close call. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, you had family who were into all of this and you were interested in all of it, but how did it get to where it is now? I mean, did you, uh, w- did you have other jobs in between? Like what, oh, led, right. to this? what yeah, led to I, this?
2: I did radio in college, uh, at KQAL, a college radio station in Winona. And I just made some great friends there, uh, including Tim, my co-host. And we just have always talked about the paranormal and, uh, he stayed in radio and I had to make a real living. So <laughs> I had kids to raise and radio is not a way to make money. Um, and after all these years, he just, he hit me up in the, uh, uh, I think it was November of 2005, and he said, hey, listen, I've got, uh, I've got a slot open on Sunday nights, 11 to midnight. It's a live radio show. Do you want to do a show together? Because he was a program director for this little bitty radio station in Minneapolis. I'm like, sure. He goes, what do you want to do? What kind of topic? And I said, how about if we do paranormal? And he goes, paranormal? Uh, well, I'll pitch it to the, to the general manager. General manager came back and said, who are you going to get? And we came back with Jason Hawes from Ghost Hunters as our first guest, wow. uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, wow. uh, John, John Zaffis, a local author, and and other members of of the Ghost Hunters crew spread out. So we had like two months worth of shows planned out and um, program director said, sounds great. You, you got it. You can go with it. So we launched, we did about three months at one hour a night on Sunday nights. And then uh, we got such good response. They bumped us to two hours and that's kind of where we stayed. And then eventually left that station when it got sold to a christian uh station and moved on to a big talk station in the twin cities where we stayed for like another eight or nine years then jumped to join the jericho network over on podcast one and that's where we've uh, taken our show and that's where we've kind of sat ever since
0: wow and then that became full-time for you
2: yeah yeah working in the radio and Although again, radio is not the greatest money. Uh, there were other opportunities: writing a book, getting invited to work on different TV shows, and appear as an investigator doing live uh, events where I could go out and and uh, meet people and talk and share our our stories of the paranormal. So it just it turned into something, and and uh, thankfully so. It, it you know gives me a chance to live my passions: do radio, which I've loved since I was a kid, and the paranormal, and put these things together. and And here I am, you know, for almost. What we're 14 years in on this radio show now.
0: That's crazy. That's yeah. great. Um, I saw on your thing that you did um, some stuff with the Queen Mary.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We did, uh, used to host these live events, Darkness Radio Presents. We do live events with the ghost hunters or ghost adventures crew. And we would just go out there and have these big conferences, and we'd have like 200, 300 people show up. And we do ghost hunts and we do live talks and presentations and charity dinners and and just had a great time and queen mary it was amazing just a great place to visit at the time um, we had full reign of the ship you know we used to get in all the places that are shut off now to the public so that was you know when they started shutting down that stuff is when i stopped doing the events there um but yeah we used to get you know into the hole and in the front of the ship in the back of the ship and under the ship and all these different haunted rooms and just had had amazing times communication with Jackie, the little girl by the the first class pool. So it's been, I'm really lucky with all the great places we've got a chance to see.
0: Well, um, you actually were in communication with Jackie, the little girl that drowned in the pool.
2: Yeah. We, on a couple of occasions, um, our very first trip there, Chris Fleming, the medium, uh, went down into the pool Mm -hmm. and he was holding a Barbie and he had her by her hair. And he said, Jackie, would you like to play with Barbie? And very clearly you hear this little girl say, uh-huh. And the whole place just went dead silent. And then during part of the other investigation, I would, since I was leading it, I would always walk from one, we'd have Chris Fleming at the pool, we'd have Jason and Grant at another area, Patrick Burns at another, and and another, you know, Rosemary and John Zaffis at the other spot. So every hour or two, we'd rotate so everybody would get a chance to work with the different investigators and see the whole ship. And I walked in and talking with Chris and all of a sudden um it was at the end of one of the ghost hunts we start hearing this little girl start singing london bridge is falling down and we're all looking around and he goes somebody's screwing around with us and i go well it's time to usher everybody out anyway so we usher everybody out we walked around looked around for hidden speakers couldn't find anything and we're like well that's really weird well one of the, one of the people here must have been playing a game and as the next crew starts walking in you start hearing the little girl singing again and everybody just stopped in their tracks and they thought we were putting them on and Chris and I were just like, we have no explanation for what's happening. You could physically hear this little girl singing London bridges falling down. Wow. Yeah, so We had, we had a couple of really exciting moments, uh, doing these, these type of live hunts.
0: Yeah. Did you have, um, any other experiences on the ship?
2: Oh yeah, we shadowy figures, uh some of our guests got really remarkable photographs, um, you know, EVP that we would capture. Uh you know, and and to show the spirits have a sense of humor when the ovelus first came out, you know, it had that real mechanical voice. Um and each one of us has an energy signature, right? So you have an Ovilus, right? I don't. We'll have to get that fixed. Bridget, we know. need to get you an Ovilus.
0: I need but more equipment for sure.
2: We'll get you one, but so each word is, is coded. So uh, energy signatures will, will trip those codes and make the words come out. So you'll notice that once you get a tool like this, it'll trigger, maybe it'll always say sunshine or smiles or puppies every time you turn it on and you're just, that's like your keyword. What mine was, I first day I got it. I don't investigate my home, but I turned it on just to see what happened. And I threw it down on the, the table as I was working on my radio stuff. Um, and all of a sudden it goes fat thighs. I'm like, what did it just say? And I lean forward and I'm like, no. And I sit back and it goes, fat thighs. So I call Bill Chappell, the creator, and I'm like, why would you put the word fat thighs? And he goes, I didn't put fat thighs. I don't even think the word thighs are in the. I'm like, dude. And then all of a sudden it says it again. And he goes, record that. I recorded it. So it would trigger the word fat thighs around me all the time. And we're at the, the Queen Mary one day, and uh, I come in, and Bill Chapel's running part of the investigation, I think with, um, I want to say, Nick Roth, and they're in this area, and all these people have oveluses. And I go, how's it going? He goes, it's real quiet in here. Nothing's happening. I said, all right. Well, I'll come back. I start <laughs> well, walking goes
0: fat through lies. the
2: room. <laughs> As I'm walking through the room, everybody's machine starts going, fat thighs, fat oh, thighs, fat thighs, fat thighs. I turned around, and Bill Chapel and Nick Groff are on the floor laughing, and I'm like, screw you and screw the stupid Ovilus. And uh, yeah, so the spirits are having fun with me or I've just got the energetic signature of fat thighs. So (laughs) even the other side is telling me it's time to lose some weight.
0: Oh no. (laughs) Well, I love the Queen Mary. I've I've spent quite a bit of time there. I, um, You know about room B340, I assume. Yep. So I was one of the first people, or they told me I was the first person that got to spend the night in there. And then... um, yeah, well, who knows? They
2: tell a lot of people that, but yeah, I'm with you. Go ahead.
0: And um, and then I got I they have me come and host for Dark Harbor too. So then I sure. also got to stay in there on Halloween night. So I've stayed there a couple times, but it was amazing.
2: So what's what was the coolest experience you had
0: in B three forty?
2: On the Queen Mary, period. Oh, on
0: the Queen Mary. Well, one, well, uh, there's two different experiences in B three forty. I didn't have a haunted experience, but. I could hear all the people walking around outside going, oh, my God, this is B340. It's the most haunted room. Nobody gets to stay in there. But there's a fake door in there. It used to be because it used to be two separate rooms. Right. So now there's a door that doesn't really work anymore. Um, there's no knob on it or anything, but you can still jiggle it. And so I was like looking at the people when they were standing there. They would like, oh, it's and it's kind of down like one of those little corridors. Right. And they would tell somebody, oh, go in there and get your picture. And then they would walk in there to get the picture. And I would jiggle the door and they would just freak out and the come right now they're like the door jiggled the door jiggled like no it didn't get back in there get back in there get back in there and I jiggled the door again (laughs) and I told the queen mary I could stay here for weeks and and scare people (laughs) you don't even have to pay me like I just want to do it it's so much fun so So you're my kind of ghost owner I love that yeah and then um but as far as stuff happening when I stayed there um before I was even living in LA this was way back probably uh late 90s and um we were just coming to LA to visit i always had to stay at a haunted place so okay let's stay at the queen mary and uh we were staying in B deck we didn't have a lot of money so we were staying in one of those those inside state rooms that don't even have a porthole so it's pitch black inside and um We made a mental note to keep the light on when we left because it's just so dark when you come back and you can't see anything. And when we came back to our room, the light was off. And this happened like three or four times. Like even though we made a note to leave the light on, it was off when we came back. TV going on and off, that kind of thing. And then – but the most significant thing is we were walking down the hall – this is what I was ghost hunting before I had any kind of equipment or anything. You just stay up until midnight and get on your pajamas and then go walking around the halls, hoping to catch something. So we're walking around the halls like midnight or one in the morning or whatever, and we both hear the distinct sound of like a um, a kid's ball hitting the ground, like a bouncy ball. And uh, we both turned to look, and out of just out of the corner of our eyes, saw like a little what appeared to be a little boy. Could have been a little girl, but I I feel like it was a little boy. Go to grab, like he'd already bounced the ball and it looked like he was going to run after it to grab the ball and disappear right into the wall. Mm. Now, there's all kinds of little corridors. So we were like, oh, wait a second. So we went, backed up and uh, there was no corridor right there. It's just, just ship wall. And you know how probably any ship, but the Queen Mary is just like so long. You can see. You can't see all the way down to the end because it's so long, but you can see everything down the hall, both behind you and in front of you. So we would know if there was somebody else and there just wasn't. And that, and I've seen some shadow figures there and that kind of thing, but, um, but I love it. It's a good time. Oh, and one night we were in our room, uh, this was after dark Harbor and it was, uh, my fiance and my friend, we just all just like crammed into one room. So we didn't have to drive home that night. And we kept hearing a cat meow coming from like the furnace thing, the furnace things that don't work anymore, the old thing. And, it, and at first I thought it was like a kid outside, but we were on the water side of the ship And, um, so there was, there's no outside down there. I mean, there's outside, but there's no like parking lot or kids hanging out in the water. Um, so that was kind of weird. Just little things like that.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's a hopping place. It's really, really interesting to go there. I always tell people, if you're looking for a cool place to visit, go out, see the Queen Mary when you're in, in California. It's just one of those, I think everybody should stay there once.
0: For sure. I think so, too. And then um, I've never been to Bob Mackey's, Bobby Mackey's Music World, but I have that on the list of someplace you've been to. Mm-hmm. Can you tell the listeners about that?
2: Because yeah, I
0: want to go there. It's on I, my list.
2: Here's the thing. You know, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag for me. Um, I, like people say, would you go back? I really have no in- interest in going back. I didn't feel it was this dark force that everybody else felt. I I definitely encountered, you know, some things like the men's room, right? I went in there and, and, uh, Nick goes, well, all the power's off, man. You know, just be careful. I'm like, you know, I'm okay. I can pee in the dark. I know, I know how to aim and what I'm doing. And he goes, no, I'm just saying, be careful in that bathroom. I'm like, okay. So I go in and I'm peeing it and all of a sudden the stall door starts to rattle and I'm like, knock it off, jerk. And there's nobody there. And man, I hurried that up real quick and yeah. <laughs> wash my hand and I'm checking that door the whole time looking, uh, but that door would just, I'm like, all right. Then we went down to the well, right? That, the
0: hell, yeah, that's what I've gate. heard about. Yeah.
2: And earlier in the day, um, uh, a religious guy had been down there and he got all inflamed and tore off his collar and was cursing and throwing holy water around and. You know, I I was there with, uh, at the time, Mark and Debbie Constantino and Nick Roth, And um, Mark and Debbie were two EVP specialists uh, that were big in the paranormal field for a number of years before their uh, untimely death five years ago. And um, I decided, well, I'm going to jump down in the hellhole. I want to stand in the gates of hell. And uh, Debbie, not to be outdone, is like, I'm coming with you. So we both jump in this little well area, and we're doing EVP work, and we've got a um, spirit box and i said so were you mad that the holy man was down here you know throwing holy water and and it, it starts this steady string of violent words uh calling him an effing this effing that and uh calling him out and, and i turned and i'm like did you guys just hear that and they're like yeah that was weird and that was all we got but there's a whole string of people standing right there listening to it and it you know it was pretty pretty strange as the night ends, uh, I'm doing my walkthrough and there's a little cluster of our friends and they've got the, uh, the Ovilus and, um, they're trying to make communication and nothing's coming through. And I said, all right, guys, I'm going to, I'm going to head out and make sure everybody else is out of here. And as I start walking to the door, the Ovilus goes Schrader. And I turned around and I go, must've heard something Schrader. Now, again, the ovulus is not made to keep triggering the same word, it, right? It's supposed to always have random words when it starts getting specific. And I'm like, is it saying Schrader? And they're like, I think it's calling for you, Dave. So I turned back around and I walked over to the circle and I said, all right, I'm here. What do you want? Pray. I said, you want us to pray for you? We'll pray for you. So we all took hands and I led a prayer to try to release the spirits there. And at the end I go, well, I, I hope it helped. And we just stood there for the longest time and then all of a sudden just one word joy and that was all that came out of that spirit box and i was like wow good enough for me so i exited that area so it was really kind of a you know weird night beautiful little ending to our night and i i enjoyed it there but you know to me it was it was frigid and i've been there twice it was frigid both times i was there and i take the full blame because i always did tell people it would be a cold day in hell before you'd catch me in a country western bar and both times I was there much colder than it should have been and I'm from Minnesota, so that says a lot
0: that is saying a lot whoa yeah. how cold was it? it
2: was it was it was brutal we were in a lot of in a lot of feet stomping to keep your feet alive during that investigation
0: whoa um, okay, so I apologize but I did not see paranormal challenge -hmm. But I neither did a lot of people.
2: That's why it only made it one season.
0: (laughs) Oh, but no, but I um, I'm bummed that I missed it because I feel like it's a cool idea. So Mm. tell me how it worked. There was like teams,
2: right? So Zach Beggins from Ghost Adventure was the host. I was the lead judge. So imagine uh, American Idol for the paranormal. So it was myself, and then we would have two guest judges join me every week, and we would have two paranormal teams from the area go into a haunted place like Waverly Hills Sanitarium, Eastern State Penitentiary, trans allegheny Lunatic Asylum, and we would pit them against each other. We had to see how well they knew their history, how well they knew their equipment, and what kind of evidence they would reveal to us. And they would would investigate for the night, so it would be like a four or five hour window of investigation. Uh, And during that, about halfway through, they'd flip sides. So one group would hunt in this area one group would hunt in that area and then they'd go over so that they'd have a chance to investigate the whole place and then the overnight they would have to scour their evidence to come back and show us what what the best evidence that they were able to capture and then we would kind of crown one team the winner uh and it was just for bragging rights they didn't get any free equipment or money or anything it was just you know for fun um but we had a great time and i think we did 13 episodes of that show
0: And these were pre-existing ghost hunting groups or did you guys put them together?
2: No, it was pre-existing ghost hunting groups and friends that were into the paranormal. So they would come out and, uh, we'd pit these three, three people teams against each other. And, and, uh, we had some weird, weird experiences and some weird groups come through, but we had a good time with it. It was, from my understanding, it did pretty well in the ratings, but for a reality show, as you know, uh it was really expensive. I mean, we had two full semi trailers full of equipment and, you know, we, we had th- two teams of three. We had the three judges. We had Zach, then we had the entire crew. So it was it was a huge production to do. So it just cost effectively, it wasn't great for reality TV. It's you know much better when you have three guys locked down in a building by themselves for the night than it is to have this whole dog and pony show. But it was it was a lot of fun and I'm proud to have been a part of it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like fun. I was looking at some of the locations you guys went to, and Mansfield Reformatory. Oh I've, yeah, I've been there too, and they're so nice there. And so yeah, maybe, really and that building is incredible.
2: Yeah, yeah, we have got a lot of strange things. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was I was just
0: gonna ask, would you guys get there?
2: And I don't remember on the episode what we captured, but having been there, um, we had. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I've been. I've done more time than anybody else I know. Uh, I've been in Eastern state and and Ohio state reformatory you're... and all these yeah. jails over the years. So I, they all start to bleed together with where I've seen things, but I know we had some shadow people encounters. We had a couple of DVP direct voice phenomena where you could hear voices right. calling out from the cells. Uh, that was really unnerving. Um, so those, the, perfect.
0: um, the solitary confinement that you shaped yeah. area. Oh yeah. So we were there, it was just my fiance and I, we were by, we were with the, um, the lead paranormal person there Mm -hmm. and, um, a PR person and, and one security guard. Um, and so it was just us in the middle of the night and they were like, yeah, so there's this really dark, uh, like spirit down there and you know, it's the people, a lot of people have encountered it and stuff, but if you want to. It's up to you. You could walk through by yourself one at a time, go around in the dark. And I was just like, I have to do this because I'm here. But I was so scared <laughs> walking through. Yeah, I didn't it's have funny. Happen.
2: It's, it's funny how certain aspects, like there are some places I will go that, whatever, pitch black, I can walk without a flashlight. There are some places you go and it's not even that dark. And you just like this foreboding feeling. And you're like, oh, I don't want to be here.
0: There was a definite foreboding feeling and I don't know if they had just put it into my head because of the stories they had told me and and that kind of thing or what, but I was just like, this is not a good idea to be walking through here right now by myself. It's just not a good idea, (laughs) but, um, you guys also did the Jerome grand hotel, right? Did you guys pick up anything there?
2: Uh, you know, that's one of my favorite episodes because of one of the pieces of evidence that they got.
0: Oh, tell me. And
2: it, it shows you how fallible we are as investigators. Um, it was, it was a, a cool place. I don't, I don't recall much really happening, you know, maybe a couple of off EVPs, but one of the EVPs, uh, was when they were in, in one of the surgical suites,
1: mm-hmm. what used to
2: be the surgical suite and they play us this EVP and the EVP said something like, this is where we take the brains out and we're all looking at each other, the judges and and Zach and I, and Zach leans over and he goes, I don't, I think this is them talking and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty clear. But why would they have said this is where they take the brains out? And so we we called the production. We're like, can you go back to when they were in that room and can we watch the video? And so here's where it gets really, really weird. They come in as a team and the one person's been taking notes. She goes, uh, she goes I don't want to take any more notes. She sets the notepad back down and the guy said, I'll take it from here which is totally different than this is where they take the brains out. I'll take it from here. And I'm I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact comment, but it was something that neither one sound like the other until you get it in your head that it says, I'll take it from here. And I said, okay guys, and I'm talking to Billy Tolly and, and Zach. And I said, close your eyes. I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here. And I hit the recorder and you hear, I'll take it from here. And they're like, get out of here. And I said, now, This is where we take the brains out. 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 But you could watch on the video, you saw the exchange of what they were doing and what was said when they caught it. So they gave us a bad piece of evidence, but it's easy because that shows how fallible we are. And if you preconceive what those words are and say them out loud, you'll format that to people's concept. And we were hearing, this is where they take the brains out. But when you actually look at him and what he's saying in the video, and that he, I'll take it from here, and he picks up the notepad, there's no denying it's the exact same bit of audio. It's just how you hear it. It's like that big debate over those stupid dresses a year ago. Is it right. blue and black, or is it gold and white? That's how the brain can be fooled so easily.
0: That's weird, because we stayed there, and... um they actually give you equipment there to mm-hmm. go and do your own investigation with ice, which I thought was really cool. Cause I like it when places embrace it and you know, are happy about it. But, um, we were, we went, um, in the elevator shaft where somebody supposedly died that had the body outline in there and we walked all around. But when we were in the stairway, well, the, the elevator is really creepy, but right. I didn't get anything in there. But when we took the stairway up, my, um, EMF meter was going nuts. I mean, all the way to red. And, uh, in our room. We w- we didn't get that much stuff, but then we were sleeping and in the middle of the night. I don't know why I just woke up. I mean, as we do sometimes. And I looked over at the K2 meter and it was lighting up like crazy. And I was just like, um, I am not ready for this. right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, and So I don't know what was going on in there, but we were definitely getting stuff on the K2 meter
1: independently, yeah, I mean, like of energy- other stuff.
2: When you're at these places, sometimes the energy is so palpable, you could feel it and it registers on the equipment at the same time.
0: This is one of those places that was totally out of our way to go, but we just happened to be sort of driving through Arizona. And I was like, we have to stay here. I don't care that it's 60 miles out of the way.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, we got to get you into Minnesota. As soon as all these restrictions lift off, we have a great haunted hotel here called the Palmer House Hotel.
0: Oh, yeah. Tell me about it.
2: It is such a great place, it is so crazy haunted. I've caught some of the most unusual activity there. Um, what I'll have to do is try to get the, I've got an SLS camera and I captured one of the creepiest pieces of video. Uh, I'll try to download it and get it over to you so you can see it for yourself, but it's a great place and it is just crazy. I don't think I've ever been there where something weird hasn't happened and been seen on camera um, or, or by a large group of people. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I pitched it to Ghost Adventures and they they went there and then invited me to come in and investigate with them for a short time. And we caught a really wicked EVP up in Lucy's room where I asked, is there anybody here who's in danger? And you hear this voice say, Zach. And then we're like, wow, we got to go tell Zach because he hates when they call him by name. We go down in the basement, we play it back and Aaron goes, dude, it said Zach Bagans. And I go, no, it didn't. It just said Zach. You play it back and you hear Zach Begins, <laughs> And we're all like, what the hell? So not only did it say his first and last name, but it laughed. And Zach's reaction is great. He's like, dude, you're not coming on any more ghost hunts. Whenever you're here, they call me out by name. I'm done. You're not coming anymore. Uh, but they brought me back out for more. So I've had good <laughs> times doing that. Um
0: well, they need your good, energy.
2: Yeah. Uh, they I
0: love. they need that. Doing that makes it. good TV.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's cool to see all these places. I love it for the history and just getting into these places where, you know, famous people have been or amazing stories and, and just, you know, you realize these places, how they were used as a morgue at one point during the influenza outbreak or, you know, Benjamin Franklin stood in this room and tried to negotiate peace with the British or George Washington stayed here or, you know, and you're right there and you're part of that history now. That's what draws me in all of these locations. I love it.
0: I love that, too. Tell me about the Holzer Files.
2: Well, you know, we were really lucky. Um, when I started a radio show back in 2006, uh, Alexandra Holzer, his daughter, released a book at the same time Hans released his final book. And I reached out, and both of them agreed to do our radio show. So we did one hour with Alexandra, one hour with Hans Holzer. And we were his last official interview. And then, unfortunately, he passed away, I think, the next year. Um, and I've stayed friends with Alexandra all these years and, uh, the production company she was working with, uh, came up with this concept of let's reopen your father's case files and send in a new team to see what we can find. Because Hans never believed a case was ever truly over that you may go in and sweep away some of the debris, but sometimes something else comes up, you know, like pages in a history book. You, once you pass that first page, what else is there? What new stories there to reveal itself?
1: Yeah. So.
2: We've spent time going back in and reevaluating these cases, uh, trying to set right what was wrong in the past, because sometimes Hans was going off the information from the historians who we are now finding out. A lot of them were just telling a story to sell admission and we're trying to set these stories right. So I feel like we're we're really helping, you know, keep his legacy alive, because I know that had he had the same access to the things we do now, he would have found these answers if he were still alive doing this. So we've, we've really been lucky and I'm, I'm with a medium, Cindy Kaza and in our tech, Shane Pittman, and we go back in and reopen and reinvestigate these, these claims. Hans would, very basic. He would go in with an audio recorder, a camera and his medium and the medium would try to communicate. He would try to get these answers and help the spirits cross over. So we've, we've taken that as far as we can to try to get the answers, dig in a little deeper and sometimes unveil what was really going on in these locations.
0: Yeah, what's in your paranormal investigation kit?
2: You know, I've got a lot of great stuff because I've been collecting it for fourteen years. Um, but what I really—I I break it down to—is I like my audio recorder and maybe a spirit box and uh, a millimeter, just real basic, like Hans Holzer. I don't. Sometimes you get so invested in the the equipment that you're missing out on the experience. And I know it's better for TV for us to capture something there, but I really like the moments when I just have a great experience That means a lot more to me to, to see these things happen. And, um, so, but I, I, I've got Ovilus I think every version of the Ovilus that ever came out, I'm, I'm the voice on, I think four and five, I'm the male speaking voice on the Ovilus.
1: How cool.
2: Yeah. So it's kind of my neat little claim to fame. Um, and then I, uh, you know, I've got all the different tools. I like the SLS camera too, because we've got some really wicked weird, uh, uh, phenomena that we've caught on that. But um, like I said, I like it basic. I like an audio recorder and and like a spirit box because there's some of those things. Again, I know how fallible we are. I know we can make mistakes. But when you start asking questions and you're getting direct responses and nothing else is happening, you're just getting that, you know, uh, and you ask, what color is this house? Blue. And you're in a blue house. It's pretty hard to just dismiss it. You know, especially when only one word came through and it happens to be the exact word describing where you're at. So I I, I like moments like that. Um, And and I like to just be in the moment when I can be. I
0: agree, but I do love the SLS camera. I think it's really fun. I don't personally have one, but I love playing with it when everybody else has them. Sure. <laughs> and uh, I feel like it's caught some some really cool things too. but a lot of people are anti the SLS camera. They think that it captures things that aren't really there, and it it's like tricked easily.
2: Well what are you your know, thoughts on it? any any piece of equipment can have inherent flaws, but when, You know, and maybe sometimes it might misread something it's trying to get, but when you can have, uh, like the piece I caught at the Palmer house to me is one of the best and most definitive pieces uh, of evidence I've ever seen on an SLS camera. We were in Lucy's room and my friend Natalie was sitting down in this chair and then there's a little table and then another chair, which is Lucy's chair. And we're doing EVP work. And all of a sudden you see this stick figure appear behind the chair and it steps around and comes and sits in the chair. So I've never seen that kind of activity before. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. So I said, we're not alone. Uh, Natalie, I think Lucy's here and she's turned to this empty chair and she's talking. She's like, thank you so much. You know, this means a lot to me. My grandmother just died the other day and I was really hoping to make communication with the other side to know that it extends. And as she's saying this, this stick figure leans over and starts to pat her on the knee, like it's comforting her. And we're having this great moment. We're all like, wow, this is crazy. And all of a sudden a second stick figure pops up behind the chair and Lucy stands up and moves closer to my friend. And then this other stick figure who's standing there comes around the front of the chair and all of a sudden turns into this kind of amorphous thing, climbs up the wall on the ceiling, climbs under the overhang into the other room and then climbs back out and then turns into a stick figure hanging there. And my camera freezes. So, that was a lot of interaction and a lot yeah. of something happening that it wasn't just, uh, is was it looking at the coat rack thinking that's a human and it's not responsive. Um, you know, and I caught one at the, the Belvoir winery, the odd fellows, uh, home in, in Liberty, Missouri, where we were leading this ghost hunt and I was in the back of the pack as they were all looking towards the, the hotspot area. And this woman kept telling me, Dave, there's something behind us. I can feel it. I can feel it. And I, I, I was kind of dismissing her because every place I go, there's somebody who's sensitive and can, and and there's never anything I can corroborate. And I said, okay, okay, let's look. And I swung the SLS camera around, and there's a figure standing inside the door. And I'm like, all right, I think it's reading the ductwork as me or as a, a a human form. So I go, uh, can you can you do me a favor? Can you raise your arm? And all of a sudden, it goes like this. And I go. And everybody's like, what, what? And I go, it just did it. And I go, can you, people didn't see that. Now everybody's hovering around me, looking at the SLS camera. I go, can you do it again? Can you raise your arm like this? And I raise my arm. I said, can you do this? And then all of a sudden it goes. And then brings its arm down while mine is still in the air. So it's not a reflection. And we were all like, I don't even know how to, I, I, I don't know what to say about this. This, that was so bizarre. Yeah. Um, And then I think the funniest piece, which is, you know, probably not real appropriate, but it's funny. We went to the St. James Hotel in Colorado in Cripple Creek, and uh, there's this room where the nun is known to be. So Bill Chappell and I, with one of his first iterations of the SLS camera, we had it set up and it was all on a stand. So you're not touching it, you're not making any mistakes, and we've got all this equipment spread out on the bed. And all of a sudden you see the stick figures appear at the end of the bed and then it stands up on the bed and it bends over like it's looking at all the different pieces of equipment on the bed. And I'm like, this is amazing. Now we're projecting it on the ceiling so we can watch it in a bigger s- screen. And we're, we're just like looking at this. I'm like, dude, that's remarkable. It's like it's looking at the things. And all of a sudden you see another stick figure jump up behind it. And then the two lay down and just start undulating and we're like
0: you're seeing this in stick figures
2: yes and the two of us are like what the hell are we watching and we're like i go i think we're catching ghost sex on camera it's right above the bed and these two stick figures are going at it so we're laughing a little later on i send bill into the room and he goes around and i go bill open that closet so bill opens the closet and there's a stick figure standing in the closet I go, Bill, there's something standing in the closet. He goes, get out of here. I go, I swear, we're videotaping all this. And I go, it it steps out. I go, Bill, put your hand right out in front of you. It's right there. So, Bridget, I know this is going to sound like complete and utter nonsense. I swear, hand to God on my children's life. He puts his hand out, and it's about waist high. And the spirit kind of bends back and starts to nudge its crotch towards his hand. And I'm like are you what, what? And Bill's like, what? And I go, uh, uh. just tell me if you feel any sensation anywhere. And he's like, my hand is really cold. And I go, Bill, it's, um, it's pushing its crotch into your hand. He goes, no, it's not. And he snaps his hand back. We review the video and the stick figure is humping his hand for a few seconds. It is such a bizarre piece of video. So those moments, how do you misinterpret that? It's something that's, accidentally being read, this is interactive with us. So yeah. that was a funny moment for us. And I love when the paranormal has a sense of humor and, e- and can play these you know tricks back or be silly with us because I believe that's, you know when you go into places and you're afraid, Bridget, and you're afraid, you bring that in. I'm the ghost who's not evil or demonic, but I know you're afraid, so I'm gonna screw with you. That's just who I'm gonna be in the afterlife. I know it, I'm reserved to it, I'm gonna be the guy flicking your ear, pulling your hair and watching you scream and run out of the room, right? Or leaning into your EVP recording going, get out. I'll be that ghost. I don't think they're all evil. I don't believe in, I, I believe that the demonic exists. I don't believe that it's everywhere like everyone would have you believe. I just don't see it. I think we jump to conclusions too often. Yeah. I I want people to be, take back their power and not be afraid. And sometimes when you get past the fear is when some of the most amazing moments happen.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I still had a whole bunch more questions for you, but we're out of time. Oh,
2: I'm sorry. I I ramble too much.
0: No, let me just, let me just see. Um, could you tell us the scariest ghost story that you have?
2: Uh, scariest ghost story. Um, All right, I I, I have a tie for two. One's longer, so I'll give you the short one. Um, Okay. I was at Rolling Hills Asylum with Ghost Adventures. And this was, I think, in the end of their first season. And uh, they had invited me there because I would recommended they go to Rolling Hills. And I love these guys. They're like three little brothers to me. And I'd been there, and I'd had weird experiences. So they get locked in. I'm locked in a black van outside Rolling Hills. Everybody else leaves, and I'm all alone in pitch black in this van. Now I can see flashlights moving up and down the halls. After a couple hours, my walkie-talkie goes alive, and it's Zach. He goes, "We're ready to bring you in. It's crazy in here." I'm like, "Okay, cool." So they go, and I meet him by the door, and I unlock it. We go in, and they lock it, and the produ- producer leaves again. We're in this place, and Zach and and Aaron and Nick are are so excited, and they're doing and this and that. And I'm thinking. Oh no, guys, don't be faking things. I don't want this to, you'll break my heart, right? That's all I'm thinking in my head. This is the first time I'm on set of, of another paranormal show. I'd been on Paranormal State. What you saw in that episode is exactly what happened. We took out UFO hunting. So we were we were watching something unique. This, I'm just like, please don't, don't be faking. Don't be doing anything. And we get up to the top floor and Zach goes, uh, all right, so this is what we're going to do. And he's standing in front of me. Aaron is over to the side with his camera on his shoulder. Nick is behind me with his camera on on his uh, left shoulder, I believe. And we're chit-chatting, and all of a sudden we hear this wailing noise. It turns into what sounds like a woman's scream. And when we turn to look down the hall, over Nick's shoulder, I see this shock-white face. It looked like Pazuzu from The Exorcist. I see this face up over his shoulder. And as he starts to turn his head towards the sound of the scream, the head folds back right over his shoulder. And... I scream like a ninny. Thankfully they don't show just how chickeny I came out to be on that episode, but that freaked me out completely because I was unprepared for that. And of course I'm like, Aaron, did you catch that? He goes, I don't know, dude, let's look. And he rewinds the tape and he goes, no dude, you're blocking the shot. I'm standing there in between Nick. And when I turned, I, I went right in front of his camera. So all you see is me and me reacting to what was there. But that was one of the creepiest moments I've ever had. Um, and and so that one's a favorite one. And it was so early on, you know, I think it was like in 2008 uh, with Ghost Adventures. So I had just such a great time with those guys and, and love them to death still to this day. They're really good guys, really good friends. And uh, I can tell you, I, I think I've done seven episodes. People always wonder, is there any trickery, fakery? Nothing. Everything I've always been there for, whatever we've experienced, is exactly what shows on these TV shows. And that's why I love working in this field and working with the people that I work with, because uh, their passion is infectious. They love doing this stuff. Do I think that sometimes they've made mistakes? And I'm not saying Ghost Adventures. I'm saying in general, do I think these shows have made mistakes? Sure. Do I think I've made mistakes? Sure. But You know, in the end, you rectify it. You just make sure that you don't follow the same patterns when you go on and do something else and you learn from them constantly. You know, in the beginning, dust orbs were ghosts to everybody. Mm -hmm. Now we've learned that it's, we have to look at things differently. And for a guy who hates orbs, I've had to turn around on a few occasions when something weird happens and I see an orb shudder by and all of a sudden you see it pass us a hammock and the hammock starts swinging. And then as soon as it gets out of frame, the hammock stops moving. There was obviously some kind of energy there. So you just have to be adaptable in this field.
0: Yeah. I want to send you some orb pictures that I have from the mansion and tell me what they are.
2: Okay. What you I'll, think they are. I'll take a look because I'm a professional. But just don't be heartbroken if I say dust, moisture, bugs. That's my uh, my. It's always so hard to see, too. When people show you a picture, it's like giving you a, a thousand-piece puzzle turned upside down without an idea of what it's supposed to look like. And they flip one piece over and go... Is this paranormal? I don't know because I don't know what's behind you. I don't know if something's reflecting through a mirror. I don't know if if somebody's IR light went off and caught your camera lens and it's reflect or your watch face and it's reflecting. It's really hard, so I'm very cautious with with how I do that. But uh, yeah, I'm certainly always looking for cool evidence. So if you've got some interesting stuff, I'm always interested in looking at it. But if you're sitting in the hot tub and there's orbs, probably moisture in the air from the hot tub. If you're in an old dusty attic and and you could tell it and there's and probably probably just dust orbs. You know, I always tell people the perfect example is take a picture of grandma's couch in broad daylight without the flash, then take one with a flash, then reach over and pound the the cushions and jump back and take a picture and look at how many souls you just breed into the
0: universe. (laughs) So just
2: be cautious with what you present as paranormal uh, activity. But yes. I'd love to visit with you again when Holzer File Season 2 starts up this fall, and I'll, I'll bring a whole bunch of new weird, creepy stories to share with you.
0: Yeah, I would love that. Well, thank you. So, Tell everybody how they can uh, keep up with you and, sure. and follow you on social media.
2: Uh, at Darkness Radio... Or at Darkness Radio Dave on just about everything. Um, you can follow me at darknessradio.com, will be the easiest way jumping off point. You'll find links to our shows, links to our social media sites, uh, links to our shop with all of our cool paranormal swag, what I'm doing with Holzer Files. Um, I'm also hosting uh, some specials for Travel Channel that'll be airing on Thursday nights. Um, with different paranormal shows where we're kind of looking back at their favorite and creepiest moments. Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing some of those. So if you just keep checking darknessradio.com, you'll be able to see where I'm at and what's going on.
0: Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Ghost Magnet. I'd like to thank Lisa Morton one more time for her weekly ghost report. And thank you to all those listening. Join us here each week for a new ghost story. And Show us some love and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you're always the first to know when a new he- episode is out. Make sure to check out our Ghost Magnet Facebook page. Like I mentioned earlier, we will be posting photos, videos, and sound bites for you to experience. And you can also catch updates and sneak peeks on my social media. At Bridget Marquardt on Instagram, at Bridget on Twitter, at Bridget Marquardt on Facebook. And make sure it's the one with the blue check mark, because there's lots of fake, or shall I say, ghost accounts out there. Also, check out my YouTube channel for some fun Ghost Magnet videos. Thanks for listening to Ghost Magnet.